Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for all things human factors, psychology, and design. Hey everyone, it's December 10th, 2020, and we are back. This is Human Factors Cast. I'm your host, Nick Rome. I'm joined today by Mr. Blake Arnsdorf for episode 187. I didn't say that at the top, but it's 187. Blake Arnsdorf, One, welcome to the show. 187, here we are. How are you doing, Nick? Here, here we are. I'm okay, man. We we got <laughs> we got a great news story to talk about this week. It's actually kind of fun. Um, brain stimulation via earbuds and how this unobtrusive technology could treat a variety of diseases. We'll break all that down. Uh, but first, I want to talk about some programming notes. So last week, we were actually supposed to come back from the Thanksgiving holiday. However, we had some critical infrastructure, fa- some critical hardware failures going on here on my side. I uh, didn't want to put out an episode that may or may not have been the best it could be because of those hardware things. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but we are back this week. We're back next week. Uh, and then we're going to be gone for the holidays and we're going to be back on January 7th. So we're averaging like two episodes a month now at this point, but that's okay. We'll be back in full force on January 7th. Uh, just wanted everyone to kind of be aware of that. Uh, Blake, what is going on in your world though? Cause it's been a while since we caught up. It always feels like this when we don't have these episodes because we go a week without talking most of the time anyway. Um, you know, we chat via text, but we don't chat face-to-face like we have here. Uh, what is going on? Because it's it's been a while. Yeah, I can't even believe it's been that long. It's funny to me. It doesn't even feel like it's been, you know, what, two weeks now? Because that's when... Yeah, because that was about, like, Thanksgiving. It was about two yeah. weeks ago. Uh, man, things are kind of insane, for sure. It, it's always tough for me coming back from the holidays and finding that, like, motivation to make it through another two weeks. Uh, so it's just, like, been a... A week or two weeks of just digging deep because I'm a big I'm a big like Thanksgiving and Christmas fan, so I get just a little too excited about the things to come. Um, and even with COVID, it's kind of going to be a fun time because I'll actually get to spend a lot of time with Elise, who's been on the show a few times, and uh, her family instead of like flying across the country. Uh, so it'll be a fun time coming up here. One thing that I don't know, I, this has just been in my mind for about probably since about the last time we talked and I've, so when I was younger, kind of like in my early twenties in college, I used to tour with various like bands that had, I had put together and helped create, um, when I was in, when I was like in college and use that as kind of like side gig money. And I just remember all of us having to scrounge together money, like broke college kids or broke kids that were like working at gas stations. And we would scrounge money together to like basically borrow people's equipment and buy equipment. Right. And that like, for most people that don't know, like a half stack amp or a Marshall amp can cost you like a couple of thousand thousands of dollars. And so like in my early twenties, this was always an unattainable thing that I would never own an amp or any of that stuff. But recently, through the beauty of technology and thanks to the internet, right, uh, a lot of amp simulators and amp modulators are basically now available for most of your favorite amp companies that companies like Neural DSP is one I've been really turned on to are creating for like half the, not even half, like a quarter or tiny penny piece of the cost. Like I was able actually to purchase a full entire half stack and head um, from a company called Fortin, who had basically made a a modulator through this neural DSP company, along with like popular metal plugins for different uh, like pedal boards and stuff like that. 
things that would cost me like no no joke probably four thousand dollars to have the material pieces cost me like 150 bucks and less than that um from black friday stuff but it's been nuts to kind of go and basically feel like i can just create and write music all from nothing more than just a a guitar a plugin that allows me to interface with my guitar to my laptop and then just the laptop dawn plugins so it's been fun over the past two weeks to kind of really focus on you know just music writing and generation and being just in awe of all this technology that's available to people that's really cool, man. So are, you're saying that this is like a an emulator for an amp itself, right? And all you do is plug in your guitar into your computer and, and you can adjust all the settings like you would on a physical amp, but it's just done digitally? Absolutely, yeah. And same thing with like any kind of... In, you can like set up the signal chain just like you would with your own amp amplification. So like putting, you know, pedals in specific orders before your wire goes into your head which would then go into the cabinet of the amp but yeah you can so you can change all that kind of stuff around and yeah you're able to basically make any kind of tweaks and tunes that you want to save those presets so it's like you don't have to sit there and remember or take a picture of you know your amp that's kind of nice yeah so it just makes things really really simple um and from neural dsp like it's it's one of those companies that i think has really done a awesome job at just making a no-nonsense ui where it's like the ui is basically focused only on the amp and you're like turning the dials and all that stuff on the head and changing microphone positions and stuff like that and the ui is as it should be like very seamless in the background of everything else you can tweak stuff and change settings but really it's focused on you interacting with an amp amplifier um so yeah i mean yeah i was gonna yeah I was going to ask about the, the UI. Is it like, you know, does it show like the amp and what the settings would be if you had a physical amp, like with the knobs, like the analog knobs, or is it all digital? Can you set them like, is it decimal point? Like I'm trying to picture this UI, right? Is it, is it pretty analogous to the physical thing? Oh, it's, so it is an exact analog of the physical thing. Um, oh, wow, now for okay. some amp, amps, they do like for one called nameless, right? It's based off of a really, really popular band's amplification, but but of course, for you know, um, proprietary reasons, they actually couldn't work with the band or couldn't make a deal with the band to make something work. So basically, they created the exact amp and removed the name. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I mean, you're basically you are turning physical digital knobs uh, that look just like like a Marshall half stack amp would or you know a Fortin amp head would, and so you're able to tweak all that stuff. And plus, the other kind of benefit of it is is a lot of people won't won't know this at home, and Nick, you might know some of this but basically if you use different microphones when you're recording in a room you can get different types of sounds and by putting microphones in different areas for a specific amp you can get a different kind of like vibe or sound out of it so they include like you know modulators for specific mics and you can move those around the room and all that kind of stuff um but it's nuts because it's it almost feels like you're actually able to just turn all the knobs and stuff like you would any other amp that sounds super cool, man. And like honestly, that sounds like it would be great for something like streaming, where if you were to like stream your own music, right, on on Twitch or YouTube or whatever and and you wanted to show everybody what your process is for really fine tuning that sound, you no longer have to have a camera on the amp. You can just do a screen share of that application, right, while you're playing the guitar or whatever. Um, that sounds like really cool application, man. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. And, uh, Make- on the streamer thing, it's kind of fun cause you can like save presets and send them to people too. So that's always right. kind of fun. 
Yeah, that, you're making me want to get back into music, man. <laughs> yeah, why not? I mean, it's kind of a good time if you have the extra time or, or you find yourself like looking to pick up another hobby or whatever it may be. Yeah, well, maybe we'll have a couple musical instruments in the house here uh, with, with my kid growing up, so we'll, we'll see. There you go. Uh, yeah. Man, I, I, got, I got a couple things I want to talk about here. Um, I'll talk first about the hardware failure and what happened last week. So I have a, a dock uh, that I use to change between my work computer and my personal computer. Um, and all I have to do is unplug one thing, USB-C, that goes from one to the other. And it works out great um, because everything that's hooked up, including my lap, or the, the podcast setup of the microphone, the headset, the keyboard, the mouse, the printer, the everything, you name it. I have like probably 20 or 30 uh, user interface devices hooked up to uh, a series of daisy chained um, USB hubs that then plug into the dock that, um, you know, basically act as a one plug fits all, right? And it works. It works. And I, I spent some time getting it to work. And, and what happened last week uh, on Thursday before we were going to record the podcast is that that dock failed. Um, I suddenly did not have a dock. Uh, and I was out two monitors uh, because <laughs> my uh, laptop that I use for recording uh, our podcast only has uh, one HDMI on it. And I was using an HDMI and two um, I, these DLPs. Anyway, the, the, the issue is that I only had one monitor and I didn't know if all my stuff would still work if I plugged it in through USB and I had to troubleshoot some issues because power went out and anyway there's a bunch of stuff going on last thursday uh so we're very sorry we didn't bring you an episode but we're here now we figured it out i'm able to work off of one monitor i've got blake up in the top right corner i've got the recording in the bottom right corner and then i have all on the left hand side i have um our show notes and i can i can bounce between everything and and see everything all at once which is kind of nice there's enough real estate at least on this monitor this one monitor that i have for now uh hopefully i'll get back to three monitors soon um ordered another uh dock but we'll see when that gets here anyway that's what happened last week wanted everyone to be aware um blake we are in lockdown part two now um here in california everything is shutting down again um, and so with that, I have started another project using Arduino and all that stuff. And, and my parts will get here later this week. Um, but I, I will be on kind of that project watch for a while, you know? Nice. Uh, my, my goal this time is fairly simple in nature. I don't want to, uh, we're planning to move next year. So we're not trying to, you know, get a bunch of stuff and, and crowd the, the place that we're at right now. But, um, so it'll be smaller in scope, but the, the, I guess it, it doesn't sound very exciting when I describe it this way, but the, the project that I'm trying to do is to turn on uh, Christmas lights with a press of a button. And ha- so you know how those Christmas lights uh, have like several different modes, right? Where you click the button once, it does one mode, you click it again, it does another mode, and then you cycle through all those modes until it turns off. Yeah. And then you click the button again. So what I'm trying to do is is wire that button up to an Arduino so that every time I press another button, it just presses it twice so it gets to a certain setting. And then when I want to turn it off, I press it again, and it presses it six more times to get it to loop off, oh, if that yeah. makes sense. I see what you're saying. So that's what I'm trying to do. So on, it's a certain mode. Off, 
off. You know what I mean? So that's that's the project. It's not very advanced. It's nothing like that first control panel project I had going on, but it serves to um, it serves a purpose somewhere down the line, and I'm I'm hoping that someday I can share that with you all. Uh, but but for now, that's what I'm trying to do, just on on a set of Christmas lights. So uh, that's the project that I'm doing. And man, um, speaking of lockdown, I'm actually really thankful that we're in lockdown now because I am. This is the last kind of bantery thing I wanted to talk <laughs> about because I am on information overload today. We chose to record on a Thursday this week. Why? Because there's a million things going on in pop culture right now, and I am, like, losing my mind. I talked to you before the show about some of this stuff, but let me just start with what happened yesterday. Okay, so Cyberpunk 2077 came out. I chose the biggest PP size you can get, and, you know, there's it's a fun game. Uh, you can, yeah, you can. Uh, but anyway, that's... <laughs> So that's highly anticipated, and it's it's come out, and and um, you know it's is it it's living great. up to the hype? I mean, in a lot of cases, no. Um, <laughs> in in my case, yes. Okay. So, a lot of people are really disappointed with the performance. You can see a lot of pop in on the the older consoles, right? PS4, Xbox X, One X. Oh yeah. Um, I'm playing on Stadia because if it, I guess the deal's still live if you order it before. Uh, December 18th, so anyone listening now, they can actually go and order Cyberpunk on Stadia, and you get a free uh, controller, a Stadia controller, and a Chromecast Ultra, and three months of Pro with it. So you get, um, like, a, a, a banger of a deal uh, just for trying out this game, really. like uh, so, And it's running great on Stadia. Stadia actually handled it well. Um, I, I think... Stadia is now starting to hit mainstream because everyone's going, oh, Stadia is a great place to play this. You don't have to download updates or anything, and it's running fine. Yeah, it seems um, like one I've of those had... games that it's finally come to Stadia, and it's the right game yeah. for the platform versus like older consoles that yeah. sounds like it sucks on. It really is. Um, and so so first off, that, that happened yesterday slash today. And then today is Thursday, and the Disney investor call happened, and they announced 10 new Star Wars things, and my mind is in like overload so please if you're listening to this and want to help me get all this out um talk to me on slack because i would love to talk about star wars with somebody uh i have my normal circle but man like there's just so much stuff coming uh, a couple mandalorian spinoff series and anime uh, another animation thing uh a rogue squadron movie a movie by taika watiti uh there's there's a bunch of stuff coming and i'm really excited about it and then as we're recording right now which i'm very excited to go back and watch the game awards is happening um and there's usually like a lot of really exciting announcements from from that right like i was i was watching a couple and like sephiroth is coming to smash and the makers of left for dead are making a new a uh, game that's called Back for Blood, um, which has a lot of the same fun stuff that Left 4 Dead had. Anyway, it's a it's a great time um, to you know kind of digest all this, but it's all happening on the same like within the same twenty four hour period, and my little brain doesn't know how to process all this. So like I'm I I'm st- I, if I seem a little fl- um, what's the, I'm not flustered. I'm excited. If if I see if seem a little like I'm tripping over my words today, that's why. Is because there's so much to look forward to in this in this shitty shitty year that like really took a lot from us as a society. Like it's 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 good to kind of feel excited about something and excited about the future, right? Like I it's um 
Yeah, it just feels good. Absolutely, It, it feels man. good to have a win. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. <laughs> it's it's good to have that much excitement, especially in such a tough year, for sure. Yeah, well, I guess Santa heard my wishes this year. All right. Uh, we got to get back. We got to get back to the show here. All right, let's go ahead and get into this next part of the show. We call it Human Factors News. This is part of the show where we talk about everything related to the field of human factors. Or I guess we we should change this because we go through. We select one story to deep dive on every week, uh, and it relates to the field of human factors. It could be transportation, psychology, AI, whatever it is. As long as it relates to the field of human factors and encourages discussion, uh, it's it's you know we we like to talk about it and it's like. We like to find stuff that's that's uh, that we can deep dive on. Uh, so we got one story, like I said, this week. Blake, what do we got? Man, we got something really interesting. So this is all in the medical field and kind of a nice blend between medical and tech. So this is brain stimulation via earbuds. So these earbuds look like, well, regular earbuds, but these headphones don't actually play any music or produce any kind of sound. Instead, they produce electrical fields designed actually to treat disease. By delivering electrical pulses to a nerve in the outer ear, the device hacks into the neural circuits in the brain in a way that could regulate inflammation and treat rheumatoid arthritis. Or at least that's the hope, anyway, of researchers at the startup of Nisos, which launched out of stealth mode earlier this week. So arthritis is their first application that the startup is really pursuing hard. And if Nisos has found an effective way to hack into the brain, the earbuds could help it with a range of neurological and psychiatric diseases. The results of the company's first in-human study were actually presented last month at the American College of Rheumatology 2020 meeting. And in that study, 30 people with rheumatoid arthritis were instructed to use these earbuds a few times a day for about three months. And by the end of that study, over half of the volunteers had improved in, the, in a clinically meaningful way in terms of their rheumatoid arthritis. And more than half of those patients who benefited showed a 20% improvement uh, versus a third uh, improved by 50%, and a few patients even experienced a 70% of improvement in symptoms. So, Nick, this is kind of insane because what they're talking about is, kind of, from my perspective, very diverse ways of treating disease. And I just want to go back for a second to what they actually talk about treating, and that's neurological and psychiatric diseases in addition to what seems like regulating inflammation for something like arthritis. This is what is this? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. What is this indeed? This is, it seems like sor- sorcery, right? Yeah. Because there's, um, like, so I guess my understanding is that they are basically uh, electrically stimulating the ear uh, from the outside, and it is, is in their words, hacking the brain. Um, but you mentioned some of the other things that it's it's uh, claiming or or hoping, I guess, to help with. Right. I mean. You're, you're looking at things like heart failure, migraines, strokes, um, depression, uh, heart failure. Did I mention heart failure? Crohn's disease. So they're actually looking at, at several different things that can be affected by this, right? So this, this actually, um, the, the, I guess the, we can talk about sort of the function of this. It taps into the power of the vagus nerve, um, which is, is, uh, <laughs> if you've if you've done biopsych, you know what the vagus nerve does. It is kind of that super highway nervous system. It connects the brain to some of the key organs in the body, um, and has been the subject of a lot of research. 
Um, and so basically the, they're hoping to kind of use that and, and um, you know, provide this electrical stimulus to it uh, to help treat some of these things. Um, and, and traditionally you've had some of these uh, surgically implanted devices that produce electrical stimulation. Um, they are, uh, what are they called? The, I had them here. Um, anyway, they're, they're surgically implanted. Um, and, you know, those, those devices have electrodes that actually touch the neural fibers. Um, and it sounds like this one is just an earbud that you put in your ear and uh, it does the same thing effectively, or maybe not the same thing, but it, it's, it's working off the same principle. Uh, is is uh, kind of what I got. So it's it's not targeting the vagus nerve in the neck. It's it's actually targeting the vagus nerve um, through a branch that goes to the ears. is is kind of my best understanding and the best way I can put it into kind of layman's terms. Um, but they're kind of using that that branch to send electrical pulses to brain regions that they kind of believe regulate um, some of these responses in the body so that's that's kind of what's going on just at a high level um but all this from earbuds yeah that's the part that is pretty insane because if you if you actually go to their website they do have some basically posters it looks like they presented about this kind of stimulation device um and then links also to more data about what nick was talking about because this this idea of vagus nerve stimulation um with implanted devices i I guess has a large body of research around it so i think you're definitely on the right going down the right path of how to explain it nick because it sounds like they've tried to figure out okay great we can do this with an invasive implant that somebody would have to wear and monitor and you know a doctor would have to look at it but what could we do as a wearable um, and I think it, that's right. something we really haven't heard a whole lot about in a while is thinking about how wearables can be used um, from a tech perspective. And I mean, this is taking on wearables in a totally new light because it's like the way that they talk about it is basically you use these earbuds for X amount of minutes per day over a per, over like a long longer period of time. Because I think in the study I'm looking at, it was 12 weeks. Um, and in the study that was mentioned in the paper is the same rough amount of time as well, but you can see improvements in something like rheumatoid arthritis that has all, has everything to do with inflammation. Um, so that just seems insane to me. And I wonder just from the kind of neuropsych and nerd perspective about it, I would love to know kind of those mechanisms that it's under, that are underlying that it's affecting that have to do with like from the brain's perspective, how do I reduce inflammation? Uh, so that's really, really cool. But it's it's super nuts to see something that are just earbuds doing this. Yeah, I want to talk about sort of the, the surgically implanted ones versus the earbuds, right? Because in, in sort of these traditional um, instances where these surgically implanted devices uh, are being used, they're, they're kind of like a last-ditch effort, right? They're, they're being used in situations where all of the other sort of treatments have failed or um you know the disease is in kind of the late stage and and so there's not really much uh it it requires a lot to actually use these um 
these surgically implanted ones. And and I guess the the interesting thing with the earbud is that you could almost use it in addition to other things, right? Depression was on that list. Imagine going to therapy using these earbuds as well as, um, you know, taking medicine as well. So, like, you can... This is just one more tool as a battery of... of, of um, treatments that that can help with this type with any one of these things that they mentioned right if if you're having success with any of these why not throw it at it right i I would imagine my my speculation here is that if it's earbuds and it's just producing electrical um, stimuli then it's not going to be that expensive uh especially if it's non-invasive you just put it in your ear and it's done um and so so my hope is that you know of course, with the way insurance here works in America, you're going to pay $50,000 for one of these. But I, I don't know. I'm pretty hopeful about something like this where it might be covered over most insurance policies. And, you know, we can have another conversation about the United States healthcare system another time. But hopefully this will be widely, widely enough available to use as another option, right? I can, like, just send it home with a patient and... and you know, set it to a certain mode and call it done. Um, so that's really exciting to me that this is something that may become more widely available or wi- widely used as opposed to those surgically implanted ones that are kind of used as a last-ditch effort, right? So that, that's that's kind of where I'm at. Is like that's, this is going to hopefully be transformative or at least open the door for more of this type of research, right? Some of the... Uh, results out of their arthritis study were were pretty convincing, right? Fifty percent, um, a third improved by fifty percent, uh, and you know more than half improved by twenty percent. And even that is saying a lot. This like when I was talking about this being included in a battery of treatments, um, and I probably shouldn't call it battery, but a a range of treatments being applied to a patient, um, you know. That combination is promising. Absolutely, yeah. And I think something that's kind of, I don't know, very incredible. I mean, looking at the technology itself, it's insane. Because it's it's just, it's a sim- like you can see some images of this across the internet. One good kind of set of close-ups, which I'm, I'm sure kind of prototypes is from Fast Company, where it, it literally looks like you're wearing earplugs of some kind. Um, but the fact that really the the diligence in the scientific community around like when we do do these in really invasive things like putting in you know stimulating vagus nerve technology implanted into somebody we study it very very broadly to try and understand its impacts and i think that kind of body of research has really allowed for something like this to develop and come up um, and be more of a less invasive use for the future but i I think what's got me more excited is the actual ethos of the company that's running behind it. Um, and again, this could be liberties taken by the the people at Fast Company. But basically, they're, uh, you, you've probably heard me talk about this before on the show if you've listened for a while. But I really believe in this idea of like personalized medicine. And one thing that they're talking about that Nick you've hit on is they're they're still really trying to figure out what it, what's the optimal electrical signal to send when you're using this device and ultimately it looks like that it needs to be tailored to an individual and then on top of that 
it needs to be tailored to the individual based on whatever we're trying to tackle. If it's depression, if it's rheumatoid arthritis. So you can almost imagine in the future, right. That like, in addition to like Nick was talking about, maybe for something like depression, you do talk therapy, the regular battery of, of kind of, you know, different things you can already do, but imagine being able to go to your phone and say like, set my, like have the doctor have helped you kind of figure out the settings for your own specific needs based on your personal brain chemistry and everything else going on. And you could basically switch modes for depression, for migraines, for whatever. And I don't know, yeah. it could be insane. You mentioned doctor, but even AI could do that, right? Yeah. Like, hey, you have a stimulus and then a couple hours later you have a prompt on your phone that's done through an app that says, hey, how are you feeling? And then that AI learns how that stimulus is affecting your mood or, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to get at, whether it's arthritis, you get pain levels, whether it's depression, you get, um, you know, any of the one of the depression scales, migraines, again, pain scale or something like that. I'm sure there's scales for all these, but you just build it into the app. And then have a loop with that AI kind of understanding, like trying different things and saying, okay, that one really helped. Maybe we'll try things closer to that range. And then maybe it narrows it down and, and kind of gets those precise signals based on a feedback loop between the operator and these earbuds. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, th I think the, uh, again, this fast company article kind of outlines um, the partnerships that Nisos is kind of dealing with, and some of them are, you know, bigger tech companies that have been dealing with this, and then universities like the University of San Francisco that's been looking at this kind of application of deeper brain stimulation for dealing with stuff like Parkinson's disease, or really getting at the fact of alleviating pain through deep neural stimulation. So it's it's awesome to see something like this that's kind of taking what exists, make it, make it into a wearable technology that hopefully could be accessible to basically anyone. And then again, allow this kind of research cycle to continue. Because could you imagine if by wearing earbuds, if tuned to the right frequency or with enough current, you would be able to, you know, avoid symptoms of Parkinson's disease. Like it's uh, there's just a lot of really interesting uh, ways this technology could evolve. Yeah, I've uh, I've been playing too much cyberpunk because now I'm thinking about ways that people can hack these things and overload them to damage. Anyway, the, the point is that they are moving forward with some of these <laughs> studies to kind of uh, test the postpartum depression, uh, migraines, that type of thing. So they're moving forward with this. And I think the more data that we have on this type of technology that is being used, I think it's really still in its infancy. And there's only a couple, uh, like you said, there's only a couple posters um, presentations on this website and so i think um like they like it said they stealth launched earlier today uh, as we're recording this so it's it's still new it's still a long way to go um but i this this type of story makes me very hopeful for the future um and it kind of hits all the human factors boxes right easy to use uh and and this is going to improve people's lives so it's, it's something that i love to talk about uh, Blake, do you have any other closing words on this one? Yeah, so like a last, because you brought up the cybersecurity issue, and actually, I, I really encourage people to seek out the Fast Company article about this. I'll I'll make sure that we put it in the description because it tackles that at the very end. Actually, the company is trying, or I think it has been has federal approval in the states at least that any kind of 
data that's collected through a device like this because it's considered a medical device. Your data is protected under the HIPAA privacy protections. And then kind of further down the cybersecurity route, Nick, I think you're right. It's something that we continually as human factors people, but as people in just general consumers of new technology need to be aware of, like that's always going to be an issue from now until I don't know when the end of time. Uh, but it looks like they're already working around with like Kaspersky Labs that has actually raised concerns about this and has thinks it can demonstrate that any wearable device like this can tamper with your brain. So at least it's already out there and companies are trying to tackle the issue that surrounds it. Yeah, it's a great point. Thank you for bringing that up. And we'll have links to all these articles. Uh, we'll have the Nisos website. We'll have the Spectrum IEEE uh, one that we got this from, and then Fast Company as well. We'll have all those uh, links in the description below. Uh, so, well, thank you to um, Fast Company and Nisos and uh, Spectrum IEEE for our story this week. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back uh for seeing what's going on with Reddit. Human Factors Cast strives to bring you the best in human factors chatter every week. We pack news, interviews, reviews, and overall fun conversations into each and every product that we put our seal of approval on. But we can't do it without you. You see, the Human Factors Cast network is 100% listener supported. All the funds that go into running this show come from the listeners. That's why we're giving back to our supporters on Patreon, now more than ever. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like 24-7 access to our exclusive Human Factors Cast Slack channel, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Cast Infinite, a Patreon-only podcast where the topic is human factors, etc. We're always updating our rewards, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you all, and remember... It depends. Okay, and we're back. Blake, we were gone for two weeks? Two weeks. We were gone for two weeks. You know, we we were gone from our main podcast. However, Human Factors Minute, that lived on through those two weeks. It was pretty great. I was like, I was feeling really bad about not producing any content for those two weeks. Um or I guess last week when we, you know, we wanted to meet and actually do the show, but then the hardware failure, like I mentioned. Um, but I was, I was very pleasantly surprised to see the Human Factors minutes still pop up. Uh, we got through the Cybersecurity Technical Group and the Chernobyl Part Two uh, mini series that we're doing over there. Uh, it's a great time on Human Factors Minute, and uh, you know, if you have a couple bucks to spare. Uh, we put a lot of time and effort into that to make sure it's stuff that you want to hear and that is useful to you. Uh, it is just a bunch of human factors topics that are condensed down into one minute or I guess one minute and 59 seconds is the longest one. So you're actually getting more bang for your buck. Um, that's just us talking about human factor stuff and we actually dust off the textbooks. We look at the latest research, what's going on with those topics and we bring it to you. Um, and, and we try to produce this evergreen content, but you know, uh, stuff is always changing, and so we might have made something at, towards the beginning that is now not accurately representative of something. Like maybe one of these technical groups got combined, but we'll we'll update them as we as we keep going. So they're always there for you. I think we have a bank of uh, quite a few of them now. I I think we're up to what fifty six or something. Um, or no, we're we're almost done with the first year of Human Factors Minute, which is kind of crazy. It's all recorded. That's why I'm losing track here. But uh, it's all in the bank. Um, 
we are continuously uh, producing those, and and it is a ton of fun. So if you if you have a couple bucks to spare uh, and want some additional things, especially if you're an educator and want to, um, you know, we are giving you permission to let your class listen to those. Don't share them, but like, you know, you can you can let them listen to it. It's a great tool for that type of thing. You can just pick and choose from a couple different things and say, hey, here you go. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be at least, uh, forthcoming with that, but we, we, uh, we need the support. So don't, don't just give it to them. <laughs> anyway, you can support us on Patreon links in the description below. Why don't we go ahead and get switch gears here and get to this last part of the show we like to call. It came from, it came from, it came from Reddit. And this week it is from Reddit. This is the part of the show where we search all over it the internet to bring you topics the community's talking about and this week we have uh one here from reddit this one's posted by just peachy o2 um and this was on the human factor subreddit we always love pulling from the human factor subreddit we prefer pulling from our slack from our twitter um if you have specific questions you can always reach out to us we'll we'll likely prioritize those and put those on the show uh and so this one though it comes from uh like I said, just PGO2. This one is, is my understanding of these terms and jobs uh, or roles correct? Human factors, IO, and UX. Uh, so they go on to write, <clears throat> Hi, can someone tell me if my understanding of all these terms and roles are correct? Human factor psychology and engineering focuses on human tech interactions in cases of improving safety. So doing research to improve safety to end reduce human error. User experience designer, or UX, is working to design and improve the usability of websites and apps by ensuring flow of using the product is straightforward and easy to use. Industrial organizational psychology is researching how to improve environment in the workplace that workers are satisfied. It also involves human resources, things like recruitment, hiring, writing job descriptions, um, the terms are thrown around, and I guess I often interrelated, which makes it confusing to know the difference. Is my understanding correct? Can you add on to my understanding? Blake, does just Peachy O2 have it correct? What's going on here? I think they've got part of the story correct on each one. Um, I'm gonna. I want to be upfront. I know very little about IO psychology. I took a IO psychology class in my undergraduate work and do not remember it. But I, so I'm kind of making an assumption there. Uh, for human factors, so it looks like it really focuses in on the safety aspect, which I definitely think is where a lot of the roots are in the human factors world, especially when you're thinking about like like they mentioned aviation and healthcare. Like let's let's reduce the error and let's make sure that it's safe, not just for operators, but for people that are also involved in it, like passengers or you know other tech staff. So I think ultimately that is a very good description. I think human factors is definitely missing here, the usability testing, because I, I think that is a major component of, I don't, I don't know, what I know to be human factors. Um, you so, could say UX designers do that too, though. Definitely, and I, yeah. Think this is, I think this is part of the reason why they are trying to parse all this out is because there's a lot of overlap, right? There's a massive amount of overlap, especially between... And it's it's kind of tough because it depends on who you talk to. But between you know human factors and what's written for the UX side, stuff's very very overlapping. Like I could say that you you could be a human factors engineer or psychologist and do all of the things below that are listed for UX. Um, and even depending on the the skill set you have, you could even be doing some of the design work. Uh, mm -hmm. But it, 
so it's it is really hard to draw that distinction. I do like that they focused. I think where where it kind of makes sense is they're making a focus between you know working on a physical product or a physical system. That's kind of what human factors really screams to me in most instances. Whereas when they're bringing up UX, it's kind of focused on digital products. Now that's definitely not always the case because there's product designers that focus on you know specifically a physical product. But I think in in a generalist speaking about it, that makes the most sense. Um, for industrial and organizational, I mean, I think that does make sense. Now, the part that I don't know um, is how involved they have to be in, you know, human resource activities like recruitment or hiring or writing job descriptions. So I might need you to shed light on that if you know any more than I do. I don't. I think I think that, look, I think broadly this is a pretty good categorization. And as as they mentioned, I think, you know, there is a lot of overlap and, and any one of these roles I think could potentially serve as, you know, impacting, uh, these other roles, right? Like a human factors, uh, engineer could potentially do IO psychology, although they might not necessarily be as, it might not be their specialty. So they might only be looking at it from, you know, it's all about tools in the toolkit. The end goal is the same though. It's all about reducing, um, strain on the user. And I think that's one thing that's missing from these is that the goal of all these, um, uh, all, all of these roles here is, is to basically reduce the cognitive strain in addition to all these other things. And it's just about how to reduce that cognitive strain, right? Are you going to do that through, um, ensuring that systems, you know, talk to each other in an appropriate way that might be human factor psychology or engineering? Are you going to, are you going to, you know, that systems, a systems approach, um, or, or even the physical, uh, hardware, right? That's ergonomics, but that's not even mentioned here. So it's like, <clears throat> there's, there's a lot of overlap with this stuff. And I think broadly, broadly, this is a good categorization. But um, again, like we've had the what is human factors versus what is um, ergonomics question on the show before and uh, like a million times. And, uh, you know, I tire of that one. But this one I thought was an interesting twist because it's 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 again further trying to break up these roles where I don't know, I call me uh, radical, I guess, but like I I pretty much believe that we can have specialties in certain areas and tools and methodologies and some are better for some things and some are better for other things and dare I say it it depends but honestly like the goal for all these roles is the same eliminate strain or reduce strain on the end user um cognitive strain physical strain uh or even you know reduce friction with some of these processes in terms of like industrial organizational psychology. So I guess, again, call me radical, but I think all this, like, I think the, the distinction is becoming less and less pronounced. Um, and like, I would have no problem hiring an IO person as a UX designer or researcher, right? Because it's all about tools in the toolkit. They might have tools that I didn't think about. And I'm big on using tools from other uh, industry areas, right? Like talked about the Adam Savage book, every, every tool's a hammer. Uh, and so like, I don't know. I, I feel like, uh, maybe this is an unpopular opinion. Maybe, maybe there are some folks out there who really believe firmly 
in in roles and responsibilities and um specialties and all that stuff and and specialties absolutely right you're you're not that's that's something that comes with years of experience on the job but in terms of tools and processes i think i think all these kind of overlap yeah i think trying to in my personal opinion i think trying to draw that distinction between human factors and ux is just nonsense in a lot of ways to me i think there's different things you could end up doing depending on what your job title is but it's you end up doing so much of again a ux role that you you were definitely doing some human factors or you're definitely taking a lot of kind of you know a notes from a human factors perspective and i mean the same i agree with what you said about the io psychologist right like hiring somebody that has that research methodology and what all of these titles have in common is they're they're like user advocate focused whether it's like in the work environment dealing with a new app you're building or a complete, you know, overhaul of the healthcare system. All of them are basically, they're looking at a specific set of problems that a user base has applying the same general toolkit of like scientific research and some specific methods along the way to make stuff better, whatever it is. So I totally agree. Makes a lot of sense. All right. Well, we're going to close on that. That's it for today, everyone. Let us know what you guys think of the news story this week. What about those buds? Would you wear them? I would wear them. I would totally wear those. You can join the discussion uh, with us on our Slack or follow us all over our social channels at H-Factors Podcast. If you want, you can email us directly. That's at show at humanfactorscast.com. If you like what you hear, you want to support the show, there's a couple ways you can do that. You can leave us a review on your podcast medium of choice. That is absolutely free. You can do that right now and it really helps out the show. Share it with somebody uh, that you're close to or work with. Uh, or you can consider supporting us on Patreon. That's the money route. You get something in return. We want to make sure it's a fair trade. And, of course, you can always reach us at our home on the web, humanfactorscast.com. I want to thank Mr. Blake Arnsdorf for sitting here and being on the show today. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to find out what's hanging out in Grandpa's Garage? You want to know what's in Grandpa's Garage? You can always find me across the Internet at Don't Panic UX. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning in to Human Factors Cast. Until next time, it, it depends. depends. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organisations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202, the Human Factors podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense.